ask that you would open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 45. We're going to continue our, our look into Joseph's story uh, this morning. And I'm I, praying through this story, and, and I, I hope that um, some of the insights you're getting from Scripture is this, this wonderful, sovereign God who is active. Right? He's not absent. And often we, we live life and we think he's, he's doing wonderful things in so many other people. Right? He's, he's over there and he's never at work in me. We, we have seasons or times where we feel that way. And I hope that through this, you're beginning to see that God is he's a very active God. And, you know, we got challenged with all of this to, to change our questions. You know, in, in life when we come, we go through an experience and it might be a difficult one. And we, we tend to have that question, why? Right? Why, God, this? Why, why? And I've been telling you, you know, God doesn't, he doesn't owe you the why. Now, he's the creator God. He's made everything. The earth is his footstool. And just reading that Psalm 139, hopefully you were just kind of overwhelmed as David unfolds. That the fact that there's no place you can go. Right? And God isn't there, his omnipresence. I mean, David just kind of takes a moment in that Psalms 139 and just kind of just camps out there and just is overwhelmed by this overly sovereign God. No matter where I go, no matter where you go, uh, you never flee his presence. Right, And hopefully through Joseph's story, you're, you're kind of grab, grabbing that. And so in life, we want to change our questions from, you know, why to, Lord, what are you showing me? What are you teaching me? What do you desire of me? Doesn't the relationship at that moment changes, doesn't it? It shifts. If you think of any earthly relationship you have, if you just continue, came to that person and said, why, 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 why? Right? If a husband goes to his wife and says, why, why, why? You know, I was going to make a joke there, but I'm going to leave that one alone. But, um, <laughs> right, there's not much of a relationship, right? We go, why? I mean, that just sounds like a lot of husbands now. Why? I don't know why. I don't um, but it doesn't grow, right? That's my point. And, and, but yet, if the conversation changes, um, right, in any earthly relationship, we begin to, of course, we see it change. If we're asking different questions, there's a deeper relationship happening. You're probing in a little deeper into each other, and you're learning more about each other. And so, in our questions of response to God's sovereignty, if we come and say, Lord, what are you showing me? What are you teaching me? Because I know in this moment, like Joseph, hopefully, say, I know I've had these, these moments in life where I was in a pit, right? I've gone through difficulties. And Joseph, as we've seen throughout Scripture, is, is responding and realizing, right? Hopefully, I mean, it seems like all along from what we've understood, he has this idea that God is in the middle of this. The brothers, see, you see God is in fear, right? We know they're suppressing guilt and sin, and their response to, to God's sovereignty has been fear, right? They've been dealing with guilt. Their, their step one was, let's just let's take the sin and press it down, right? Let's just... Forget that we sold our brother and forget that we lied to our father. Let's just press that down. And for, for over 20 years, they've been holding that down. And it's not until the moment where the, the money, right, Joseph's kindness, the money has been restored to them from their first trip when they bought food for their family in Egypt that they go, whoa, what is God doing? Right? And then they're full of fear. And we also see, you know, how Jacob responds, their father, you know, the father of Israel, right? Jacob, who's coming to this, this moment and, and you know, he responds with fear. He forgets that God has told him, we're going to build a nation, right? I'm going to do this through you. Have I not said it? And yet, in the, you know, the circumstances of life, losing his, his son Joseph, it makes him forget anything that God ever loved him. He wants to hold on to Benjamin, right? I'm going to go to the grave in sorrow. That's his response. And so we see in these things how, how we respond. And, and through all of it, we have the benefit of looking at this and, and knowing and seeing God's sovereignty. It's unfolding in front of them. And I hope this morning that you're beginning to see God has been revealing his plan in your life, right? That he is an active God. 
Right? Sometimes he gives us those moments where we go, oh, yeah, right? that's, that's why. We don't always get that moment. We're not guaranteed that moment. But sometimes he reveals that way. I've got, I've got a plan. Right? The fact that, that you're fearfully and wonderfully made, as David says, right? and we can add to the New Testament you know, teaching of the idea that, that God seals you with his spirit. Right? He's placed the third person of the Trinity in you, and he's given you spiritual gifts. And the fact that Paul says, you know what, he's, he's saved you, he set you apart, he sanctified you for good works. I mean, we all know all of this. We go, man, God's got a plan. Yeah, you're, we're quickly, quickly, I hope you're, you're deducing that you're not an accident, right? Even through the difficulties of life, we go, man, there's a sovereign God. And so the questions naturally need to change, huh? Lord, what are you teaching me? And God's this God who begins, to, I believe, when we start coming with that right attitude and say, Lord, what are you showing me? What are you leading me to? He begins to reveal at a deeper level, doesn't he? Through his word, we see him. We go, Lord, will you teach me? Lead me. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking about, you know, sometimes God gives us that little moment, right, where, where I don't know if a cannon's gone off or lightning struck or whatever, you know, in your picture, right? We just, we go, aha moment, right? The uh, eureka, right? We discover this moment. And sometimes it's like that. I was reading through some, some illustrations and, and chewing on this, this message a little bit, and there was a story of a, of a college girl who decided one day to, to, to go rob a bank. And she goes, and, and she stole a car, and she went to the bank. She robbed the bank, and it doesn't say how she did it, but she accomplished this, and she drove off. And so the police come on the scene, and they, they, they go, and they tell the tellers, and they kind of get a somewhat of a good working definition of what she looks like, and they're like, okay, we're going to go on and, and track this person down. And then they realize they didn't really have, they didn't really need all that information because the young college girl went and, and created a YouTube uh, video, and she uploaded it to the Internet, and referenced it and called it, uh, you know, the chick who steals, uh, uh, who stole or robbed a bank, rather, a chick who robs banks, you know, she titled it that way, and, and she laid the, the exact amount of money out in front of her, and, and she talked about what she did, she boasted about it, and then, then she said, you know what I'm going to do, I'm going to pay off my school loans, and then I'm going on a shopping spree. I believe that's a true story, just so you know. <clears throat> So it didn't take the police long, right, to kind of track this person down. She admitted to the stealing of the car on the video and to the stealing of the bank and the actual funds. She revealed herself, didn't she? Sometimes God in our lives, he just kind of re- he gives us that little moment where we go, this, Lord, thank you. Little moment, maybe you enjoy his creation. And, you know, those, those days, I remember being in the mountains one time, and we were up the one or two times I've skied in my life, and I still to this day thank the Lord I didn't die. Right? Because I don't know if you've ever skied. You kind of go, well, I'm still living today, Lord, thank you. But I remember being up on the mountain one day and, and, and loving the snow, and the sun was out. It was setting behind clouds, and yet it was snowing. And there's this little moment you have this conversation with God, and you're like, oh, thank you. Your creation is incredible. Right? Sometimes he gives us that little revealing, right? just a little step. Sometimes we go through medical issues, and maybe God moves in a mighty way, and we, we conclude like David, Lord, thank you that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Maybe we go through situations where, where the outcome doesn't look good, and yet we know that there is an omnipresent God. In the middle of this, we know, God, you're here. And God gives us that peace. So we come to this story, and, and this is really the, the climax of what is happening. God has been revealing, hasn't he? He's been revealing to Joseph. He's been showing him. Right? He's been revealing to the brothers. You know, the last, this, this last couple of messages have all taken place over one scene. 
Benjamin is found with a cup, and they return all the brothers come. Right? Remember the steward says, look, the person who's, who has the cup, he is my slave. The rest are blameless. You can go home. They, t- they tear their clothes. They all, all the brothers return with Benjamin back to Joseph's house. And this is where we see, right? Judah come forward and they acknowledge God has revealed, God has been moving, God has, has demonstrated and shown our iniquity. He's, he's pressed it out of us. We've got nothing now. Everything we tried to hide and press down, the Lord has pressured and brought up. Through all these experiences, he's brought it up. And then Judah last Sunday, he goes before Joseph and he pleads. What a radical difference, right? Because Joseph recreates the scene, doesn't he? This is how my brothers sold me. And he puts them in this where they can say, you know what? Good luck with that, Benjamin. We're heading home. But none of that is here. And we see in that story how Judah is like a Christ figure, right? Let me take the, his place, please. Pleading with Joseph, not knowing it's who he is, right? And we today come to this idea where they learn who he is, the great revealing so this is the story. I'm just going to look at the first uh, four verses, and I'd like to bring some wonderful parallels out, hopefully for you, and encourage you of how God moves and how God has been moving in your life. And this is what it says in, uh, in Genesis 45, in the first four verses. It says, Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud. And the Egyptians of the house of Pharaoh, they heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this wonderful um, moment we have this morning as we've assembled to worship you and to praise you and to hear from your word. Lord, thank you for continuing that work you've begun in us and revealing in the moments of our lives, whether they've been the difficult moments or the, the wonderful moments. Lord, all along, you have been the omnipresent God. And so I ask, Lord, that you would continue to be that God this morning and that you would touch uh, every single one of us to open our eyes to the truth of how you have been moving and your desire to move in our lives. So we commit this message to you, and I ask God that you'd allow me to get out of the way, that all attention would be upon you and you alone. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I mentioned last week, as we looked at Judah, just to back up just a little bit, Judah has, has taken the lead here. All the brothers are standing there. There's not one who's going to, to, to not leave this place without Benjamin. If you're familiar with the story, you've been tracking all this, and of course you're, you're free to go read it anytime you like, right? It's in your Bible. Um, they're not going to leave without him. They thought they had the best case scenario. They'd re- retrieve Simeon. Benjamin was with them. And then, of course, this, this scene happens out uh, outside of Egypt. And the steward goes and overtakes them. And they're back in front of Joseph pleading. And, and Judah kind of rises to the front, doesn't he? We talked last week about you know, a lion. There's a lion that comes from the tribe of Judah. 
right? Jesus is coming. He's in his lineages. He's going to come. He is the one who's going to intercede. He's the one that's going to take our place. And Judah is, is desiring this, right? In, a, in an earthly level between this, this Egyptian man and pleading for his brother, but yet we see a bigger story at work. And it's, it's this moment, right, where, where, where we see this, that, that Joseph, we know he's overcome a few times, right? He's had to leave the room, and he's had to go weep and collect himself, and, and here he's just completely overcome. And so he, he clears the room. He says, everyone get out of here, right? He's, I'd imagine here he's, he's still uh, speaking Egyptian, right? He's, he's maintained an interpreter as he's interacted with his brothers. He's maintained the facade, right? They think he's this, this guy, and, and he has all the power. He's the, you know, he's the prime minister. I mean, he's, they, they, they acknowledge who he is. You're, you're equal to Pharaoh, right? You can do all of it, right? You can, you're, it's, you're in control here, but please let me take the place, as Judah says, of my brother. And I think there's some wonderful parallels. You know, we really haven't touched on these through Joseph's story, but Joseph really is kind of a, a Christ figure throughout all of this. All right, we see how, you know, if you look at the New Testament, we know that Jesus was, he was betrayed, right? And we see that in Joseph's life. When we see the, the treatment of Joseph's kind of parallel what's happening and what we see in the gospel, we see Joseph showing kindness and, and mercy to his brothers and you know, giving them money back having them in a meal, and yet we see that kind of grace, the common grace we see from God, and we, and we enjoy it in our lives, and we see these, these parallels. And this morning, I would like to just take kind of a moment, look at these four verses, and see these, you know, these profound parallels that God has been doing in your life. We know that God is he's not absent. We know that he just didn't go, hey, let me create this, this faith Bible church here, or excuse me, faith community Bible church here, and then you know, check out it and leave. He doesn't do that. He's, he's got a purpose and a plan. And as we begin to look at these parallels, and the first one that jumps out, and of course you'll say, oh, this is a no-brainer. God knows us before we know him. <clears throat> of course that has to be true, doesn't it? <clears throat> God knows us before we know him. If you remember from the story, the brothers, you know, you know, Joseph had this moment of going, you know what, everything I've been through and all the time I've spent in the pit and, and pouring out my soul in anguish and then the time in prison when I was forgotten, I can imagine because he's human, he probably created, you know, a list. If my brothers ever came before me, this is what I would do. I don't know if you've ever identified with that. If I had just one chance to tell this person what I really think, this is what I'd say. Can imagine some of that's there. He's human, right? And it comes to this to this wonderful understanding of God's grace and His mercy. It's not communicated to us, but clearly He's He's living under that that understanding because He He names His first son Manasseh, right? The Lord has allowed me to forget. He doesn't forget his brothers or his father. He doesn't forget those things, but he's allowed to not be owned by this bitterness and by this list and maybe this opportunity. Oh, I would stick it to him if I just I showed up. Maybe he's figured out, you know, the, the toughest one is Simeon. If I took him out first, I could probably get the other. I mean, who knows how he's reasoned this? But he comes to this moment and says, you know what? It's all gone. All gone. And yet the brothers appear in front of him. They don't know it's Joseph. This whole time they have no idea. Isn't it so true that we live our lives and, and we operate in this world and, and so many times we enjoy the graces, right? God's common grace to us that we fail to acknowledge we fail to see. We fail to know. You know, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 3, the ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib. 
But Israel does not know. My people do not consider. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, when he, he came, right, on that first morning we call Christmas, John records this in John chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. We did not know him, but he knows us. The brothers had no idea who Joseph is, but he knows them. They are suppressing the sin and trying to hide it, and yet Joseph knows exactly the sin. How often do we try to go about our lives and say, well, if I just, if I just keep this hidden, and the Lord won't find that. That's really futile thinking, right? As, as David says, no matter where I go, not only physically, but mentally where I go, right? The sin, I, he knows. God knows us before we know him. Reading from Psalms 139, 1 through 4 again. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. He knows. Often in life we try to suppress this. And you think David's a man after God's own heart. And even here he's saying, even though God knows all of this, right, there was a time where David did not know him. And then David professes, even when I didn't know you, you knew me. Of course he knows you. Of course he knows you're your brokenness. Of course he knows when you're in your quiet place. Of course he knows when you're, you're broken to the point of tears. Of course he knows you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And we see this, right? The brothers come before this Egyptian man thinking they're going to pull one on him, right? We'll just keep that truth suppressed. And all along, Joseph knows. And he knows. I mean, Jesus, thinking in a greater sense, Jesus knows, right? He knows you deeply. He knows you're going out. He knows when you're lying down. He knows the secrets of your inmost heart. He knows the things you try to suppress. He knows the times where you, where you feel vulnerable, you feel broken, or you feel ashamed. Does he not know all that? Absolutely. And yet we will live our lives, and we will continue to try to suppress the very truth that God has a better way. And so we'll go about this life and we'll think that maybe we can pull a fast one on Jesus and, and God and maybe we can hold on to this. Maybe we'll suppress our sin thinking he can't bring it out of us and yet we know he's God. Jesus knows, right, our brokenness. He knows our sins. He has a way of exposing these things. And he does this for our betterment, that we would know forgiveness, that we would know grace, that we would find cleansing. We may hide from our sin this morning, but we know God has a way, and that's what we've been seeing through all of this. God has a way. If God is sovereign, you're not outside of his scope of his attention. And there's things in our life that the Lord wants to, you to know, right? He, God, he has it. He knows it. He has a plan. He has a purpose. So we see that God knows us. And that naturally, as we look at this story in a kind of a bigger sense, it goes to my next point here where God loves us before we love him. Doesn't he? Absolutely. 
Joseph loved his brothers when they did not love him. There's evidence of this when they came, and, and at first he might have treated them harshly, but what does he do? He doesn't hold on to all nine of them. If you remember the story, he was going to keep nine and send one brother home, but he kind of has this moment of thinking, most likely thinking, this will probably crush my father, so I'll just hold on to one brother. I'll send the rest of them home. That way they can take more grain, and he returns all the money. This is what leads to this moment, right, out in the, in the, in the wilderness, thing, thinking, what is God doing here, right, when they find the money back in their sacks? So Joseph has this kind of love for them. I mean, think about it. He's doing this, and yet these very brothers are the ones who sold him. They discussed his destiny by eating their food while he was in a pit, thinking, how should we kill him? I think for a moment, they let on when they, when they were talking, right, and saying, in anguish, we would not listen to our brothers. This is why this blood is on us. In anguish, he cried out. They know the scene. They know what they've been suppressing. They didn't want to go to Egypt in the first place. What happens if we see our brother all chained up somewhere? We don't want to see that. We want to avoid this. We want to suppress this sin, but God has a way, doesn't he? They referred to this Egyptian man as saying, we have one more brother and one is no more. Right? They lied to him. Sold him into slavery. They lied to their father. And yet we see God moving through Joseph and Joseph showing wonderful love. He loved them. We see it through the moments where he had to excuse himself and go out and weep. Hearing his brothers talk, and especially the one time where they're speaking in Hebrew and they're talking about this very moment, probably still very raw, and all the emotions that have come swelling in of something to this extent, and he's, he's overcome, and he has to leave, and he goes and weeps, and he cleans himself and collects himself, and then he comes back. Here we see it once again, isn't it? He? he yells out and clears the room, verse 1, Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him. Well, Joseph made himself known to his brothers. This is a very moving story, isn't it? We have this scene, we have all the Egyptians, he just clears the room, and there's probably this awkward silence where he's probably collecting the words in which to say at this very moment. They're standing around looking at him, they have no idea. I mean, every time they come to Egypt, right, there's always something different that happens. We got thrown into prison the first and the second time. We went to the steward and said, look, hey, we didn't take the money. We, we brought that money back and even more money. And he says, you know what? You're invited to, to uh, his house. And they kind of think, oh, that's because he wants to put us into slavery. I mean, that's where their thoughts are at. Then they, have, they, they drink and have a good time with him. They have a merry time with him, the Bible says. I mean, they're all over the place, right, these brothers? It's up, it's down. Then when they go out, there's no way that anyone took anything from his house, right? There's no way we did this. For what? Everything we've been through, there's no way we've taken anything. It's found in Benjamin's sack, the cup. Now their, their clothes are torn, they're back in the scene, and Judah's been pouring out his heart, please let me take his place. And then this man, this powerful prime minister, yells out, clear the room. Can you imagine the thoughts that are going through their head? Clear the room. We see Joseph's love for his brothers. And yet, how much more does God love you? How much more does God love you? We call, right? God's grace is amazing. It's not cheap. It's amazing because God loved you. He so loved this world. He sends his son. That you and I would be on his mind when he was on the cross. 
We see the, the tough love, so to speak, really demonstrated here, right? Joseph has shown tough love to them. He's been harsh to them and all this, though God has used to bring these brothers to this moment where they say, you know what, the Lord has exposed our iniquity and there's confession and there's repentance. Aren't those good things? Right, today we may say that's kind of harsh, but here's God's plan. He's got a plan that they would come. Remember, he's going to build a nation. And he's got to reconcile this family, and he's been at work. Part of this story includes Joseph being in a pit. That's part of his sovereign plan. It, it involves him being in prison. See, God was shaping all along. It involves his, his brothers having this moment of fear and trepidation. It has this moment of their father just looking at life and being so overwhelmed by the loss of his child, right? And then the thought of losing another just can't do it. God has been active in all of it, and he knows us, and yet he comes, and he loves us at a level that we can't understand because our life, what you've gone through, God has been shaping you. He's been refining you. He has a purpose for you. How much more does God love us than Joseph to his brothers? The loveless thing would be for Joseph to just basically ignore his brothers, right? Let them fend for themselves and figure it out and just blow them off. But he doesn't do that. God loves in a real way. So our questions are, do you know Christ? Is God challenging you on sin? Is he calling you out? Is he, is he saying, look, I've got a better way. Why don't you come and see and taste that I am good? There's nothing on this planet, right, that matches his love. The Bible succinctly defines love for us. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for you. That's good news. That's really good news. And so we see this at work throughout the, uh, the sovereign plan. We see God knows them, of course, right? We see God loving them when they're uh, you know, not lovable, when they're still suppressing that guilt, and it moves on from there. This goes to my third point, where we see that God works in us that we might know him. True to Scripture, when John says in chapter 6, God says, this is my son, follow him. We know God's will is that we would know him. God has been at work in every aspect of this moment of salvation, this moment of confession, and yet they don't know it. They're simply coming and pleading for their brother and saying, would you please let me take his place? And they're confessing their sin. And just take a moment and kind of walk through what the Lord has done because maybe you can see a, a parallel to this moment where you'd be here this morning talking about and hearing about God's sovereignty. right? God has first in their lives to bring this reconciliation, to bring this very moment about. It all began with a famine. There's famine in the land. Jacob comes to his brothers and says, why are you sitting around here? You know there's food over there. You know when we know why they don't want to go. I don't want to go see my brother, right? We're going to suppress that guilt. But he's brought about a physical need. They go and they interact with this prime minister who's, who's uh, their brother and they don't know it. And they're treated harshly, right? Remember he said he accused them of being spies. You're spies. We're honest men. Despite the fact we sold our brother and lied to our father. Let's not talk about that, Right? Okay, you got one on us, right? Other than that, we're honest men, right? That's kind of what they're thinking. <clears throat> but they were treated harshly. It goes on from there. They've had years of contemplation. I don't know about you, but if you've, if you've stewed on something and there's conviction and you, yet you continue to suppress it, does it get better? No, right? It continues to fester and grow and you know and you know. It's this boiling to this moment and yet God has been using that. He's returned their money. God has shown kindness and grace to them. 
to the point where they start to acknowledge the first time we see the brothers use the word God. What is he doing to us? And there's a fearful response. We also see Joseph's affection. They got to spend the evening, right? Their feet were washed. There was a meal. Their donkeys were fed. Fear was taken care of because the steward said, you know what, your God has returned all these things. And feeling pretty good after that moment when they're out on the the road, leaving Egypt, you know, God purges them of their self-confidence. That's another one, right? Sometimes we're like, there's no way. There's no way we've taken anything from, from the master's house. There's just no way we would do that. So one by one, right, they make that boast. If you find that cup in any one of our sacks, we'll all be slaves, right? There's some self-confidence. We're all, it's all good. We got Simeon, we got Benjamin. Come on, there's no way. And it's found, right? And they've been all over the place, and here they are coming because God is doing something in them. They're not even fully aware of it yet. They're not even fully aware of this yet. The brothers do not know. God has used all of this. They have no clue other than the fact that God has revealed their iniquity. Come to this moment of confession. I think it's very poignant that they're speechless at this moment. Joseph says, clear the room. They've got nothing. He says, I am Joseph. Is my father, is my father well? And what's their response to that? They couldn't say anything. They're in complete dismay. They're speechless. I mean, think of this scene, right? They're all in the room. All the Egyptians have gone out. He has wept so loud. The guys on the outside of the wall, they go, man, he's crying a big one today, right? This is crazy. They're thinking, I mean, it doesn't say that, right? They're thinking something along those lines. But we see this scene inside this. You can imagine the brothers going, what, what is all this? Dismayed and speechless. I think it's important that we realize the, the, the impact of this, of those who stand at the judgment seat of Christ. There's no response. There's no, hey, I did this. Romans 3.19 says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. You see, at this moment, they realize, even though they've had a moment of, of confession, now their brother has revealed to them, they realize there's this, this trepidation and this, it's filled with yet maybe some fear and grace and, and they realize he, he can, he's going he's gonna to punish us. See, God has, God has been revealing the sin and brokenness where they've got nothing and they've confessed to this, to this sin and they're completely exposed and they don't know what to expect right here and yet God has been sovereign through all of this. And I don't know about in your life if you've had this moment Right, This moment where we feel the dread of, of brokenness, and yet we come to God and say, God, forgive me. Hopefully we are aware of his grace and his mercy for us. You see, we must be aware of our sin if we're ever going to repent. We have to acknowledge, Lord, I am a sinner. Forgive me. And we must repent of our sin if we're ever going to trust in Christ and know him for salvation. See, when we begin to realize that God is, is holy and just, and I am a sinner and I stand on the other side, it's when we properly put those in their place that we see this gospel shine so bright. Because as we look at this scene and the brothers don't know how to respond to this, what does Joseph say? Come near to me. Come near to me. 
This leads right into my last point. You know, God calls us to come to him. Joseph simply says, please come near to me. So they came near. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, this is how Joseph identifies himself, and we see their response. They're terrified. They're terrified. This is the response. Joseph completely picks up on this. He says, I am Joseph. Is my father, is he well? And they're completely terrified. When you come into the presence of a holy God, I imagine that we would be terrified because we acknowledge that there is no way of any work or right that I would come before you. And we feel the weight of our sin and our shame because he is holy and just. And we realize, like Isaiah, I cannot come into his presence because the closer I get to God, the more I'm revealed. It's revealed to me. I am a sinner. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a nation of unclean lips. I don't, I don't belong here. You can imagine the brothers looking at this scene going, what's he going to do? I don't belong here. This isn't right. This isn't how we thought this would work out. We have no idea what to expect. And Joseph sees the look on their face. What does he say? Come near to me. See, that word in the Hebrew, it's not just a proximity. He's not just saying come a little bit closer. He's saying, no, come and let us embrace. How, how awesome it is to come to the gospel of Jesus Christ and hear a Savior who says, yeah, I'm the one that, that, that you forgot about. I'm the one that, that you didn't want to even be a part about. I'm the one who came into this world who went to the cross. I'm the one that you have been rejecting. And then when our sin is exposed, then we realize there is a God, and I need his Savior. And we realize God has a right at this moment. He can do with me whatever he wants. That's what the brothers are thinking. He may take us out and kill us now. We're the ones who sold him. And yet the response of, of Joseph is the same that you would hear of Jesus. He would say, come near to me. Even though you've rejected me, even though you've, you've forgotten about me, even though you've betrayed me, even though you've used my name, in vain, make the list, right? We can create a whole long list of things we've done to Christ, and yet he is saying, come near to me. That's his language. Not just closer where we go, oh yeah, it looks like it is. Jesus. No, he wants you to embrace him. That's the point of it. We know as this scene unfolds, doesn't it, the brothers weep together. And yet God is doing what? What is God doing? He knows you. He loves you. He's at work in you. What is he doing? He's calling you. He's not calling your, your spouse. He's not calling your children. He's not calling your parents. He's calling you. That's the sovereign work of a God who says, come near me. This whole fear that you have, it says, you know what? I don't belong. And the brother's fear is quickly washed away when they come close. And they look into his eyes and go, this is, this is our brother. And he says, come near. And they weep Together, there is forgiveness. This is the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ because not one of us in that moment could say, you know what, Joseph, it wasn't my fault. You know what, Jesus, it wasn't my fault. No, the whole world stands condemned like we just read. We all stand guilty. We're all born into sin, and yet there is a Savior who says, you know what, come near to me. Is he calling you? Is he calling you? God has a purpose and a plan. You're not an accident or a joke. He knows you. He knows when you try to suppress that guilt or try to hide it. He knows your struggles when you try to follow after him, but you fail. He knows who you are. He loves you. He's at work 
in you. The fact that you're here this morning and hearing God's gospel, it's about his son. It's about what Christ has done. It's about his glory and his purpose. These are things he wants us to know. This is my son. Follow him. We'll make much of Jesus. And this morning, Jesus is calling, do you know him? Do you know him? Too often we'll be in that situation where maybe the, the people have left and it's you in the room with Jesus and you're, you, know, you have too much fear or trepidation to, to cross that room and look him in the eyes and go, yes, that's him. Maybe you'll stand there with our sin and feel the weight of our shame and we'll just say, you know what, maybe it's for someone else. You see, God's call is effectual. He calls your name. You will come. Because to this moment, even though the brothers don't realize it, God has been at work. He has brought them, God has brought them to a moment of repentance and confession. They're unaware of it. And there's simply this wonderful, powerful scene where Joseph is the Christ figure. And he's telling each and every one of us, come, come near to me. Believe on me. Trust me.